So just real briefly, I will. we didn't get too far into chapter 5 last Wednesday. Um, if you remember, as we started chapter 5, uh, we were, it, it, well, I'll just read it real quick. 1 through 3, come to the house of God more to I'm sorry, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by as many words. And as you remember last week, we talked about this is like the first time that Solomon has actually given some counsel or heeding a warning. Uh, up to this point, you know, it's not really been so much of that. But here he's like, hey, listen up. You know, listen to these things I have to tell you here. And he says, walk prudently. And y'all remember what that mean, meant from last week? It means to, yeah, walk in a way that shows care and thought for the future. You know, make sure you're, you're thinking about the future or showing the care that needs to be shown. And there's thought to that when you go into the house of the Lord. Um, and again, you know, Solomon here, he's bringing some good advice even to those that are thinking or have the under-the-sun thinking, right? Uh, he's saying even though these are, we're, you know, under-the-sun thinking, um, Still, we need to walk prudently or, or to be careful as we enter into the house of God. Um, it would be wise to honor God and to walk prudently when you go into the house of God for the sake of life alone. So there again, he's saying, look, you believe what you believe or, or living under, this, under the sun living, but this is still some good, solid, and sound uh, information. And we mentioned how it was like, hey, look, watch your step, pay attention, caution, warning, you know, pay pay attention that, you know, there's things ahead that you need to, to know or, um, you know, we made reference to getting off a plane or something and they say, hey, you know, thank you for flying. Hey, watch your step. Be careful. We don't want you to get hurt. So Solomon's doing the same thing here at the beginning of chapter 5 when he says, come to the house of God more to hear and to obey than to speak. You know, walk prudently uh, when you enter into the house of God. <laughs> And then we talked about how, you know, showing up for worship in the house of God, um, the seriousness, seriousness behind it and how it's not, obviously it's not about us, you know, it's not about you and it's not about me. Um, it's about the Lord, you know, it's about God, it's about the worship, it's about our hearts, it's about the preparation before we even get to this building, you know, the frame of mind that we're in um, before we even get here, you know. And if I think if we can, obviously if we can do that and put God first and have that mindset before we even get here, our worship is going to be so much more pleasing and so much more acceptable to God. And I think we would all agree with that tonight. Um, you know, it's all, it's all about how we prepare ourselves and the way we enter into the house of the Lord and how we uh, conduct ourselves in worship. And I mentioned a little quote last week. Fruitful and acceptable worship begins before it begins. So like I said, Jim has preached that for over and over and over. You know, it all it begins way before we show up here on Sunday morning. Then he says, draw near near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. 
and then we mentioned how it's better to obviously uh, pay attention and listen, and we're going to get into that a little bit more here as far as, you know, quick to hear and slow to speak, right? We've heard that our whole lives, so we can uh, touch more on that here in just a minute. But it says to hear, to pay attention. I read last week, 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two. It says, so Samuel said, has, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So that kind of gets us real quick, kind of where we got up to last week. Um, and then we're going to start here on verse 2. Chapter 5 and verse 2. And look at it just a little bit more. It says, do not be rash. Let me get back over here real quick. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words uh, be few. So here Solomon is showing or telling us and you agree a lot of folks and the tendencies that a lot of people are quick to speak, right? They're quick to say something before they even really think about what they're saying. And I think some people like to talk just to hear themselves speak. And that'll get you in trouble every time too. But he's saying here, you know, our tendency as humans is to speak without thinking. And buddy, before God, that's even to the next level, you know. Watch what you're saying and think about what you're saying. And he's going to go on a little bit further, and it's almost better that, you know, maybe you need to be quiet and not say so much and listen a little bit more. That may be better for you, or you'll be better off in the, in the long run. Um, even with the under the sun thinking, it's foolish to speak too much and to hear too little in God's presence. That's what God, Solomon is telling, him, or telling us here. And I, has anybody ever experienced that before? With people? Nothing. And that's, thank you for saying that because that was what I was going to say next. I think we all know people like that, and I would never say any names, but I can remember as a young kid, there were some folks that would pray and pray. And I can remember as a kid, I would be sitting in my seat, you know, like the first little bit, you're like, yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. But, man, they just keep on and on and on. It's almost like if I can speak long enough, I can say the same things ten different ways, I'll get heard. And it would just go on and on. I mean, to the point, honestly, where people are like, start looking up, and then you start praying that they're going to finish soon, you know. So it, to me, it almost gets into a different, hey, I'm with you for the first five minutes, but the last ten or fifteen, you know, you're just rambling. You're really saying the same thing over and over again, you know. And it kind of, you know, reminds, and I wrote down an example of the priest of Baal when they prayed, you know, for hours and hours Mount Carmel. You know, Elijah, he was like, hey, what's going on, you know? God must be asleep or, you know, on break or whatever. But, and then Elijah, you know, he prays this little short, sweet prayer. And what happens? You know, his God answers him. So that kind of made me think of that, you know, just because you're long-winded and you like to talk and you like to pray and say a lot of words, that really don't mean you're getting no further than, than some other people, you know. Sometimes you might be backpedaling. So then he says in verse 3, a dream comes through much activity. A dream comes through much activity 
and a fool's voice is known by as many words. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. The thoughts in this line, um, I looked it up and saw it as probably best. In the Living Bible version, it says for this verse 3, just as being too busy gives you nightmares, so being a fool makes you a blabbermouth. I think that's pretty pretty blunt, but I think it gets the point across. You know, makes a fool makes you a blabbermouth. I'm going to read verse 4 through 7 now, and then we can make some comments on that. Chapter 5 and verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Verse 6. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and not destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also, this is also vanity. But fear God. So it says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay uh, to pay it. Uh, and what you know, even under in the under the sun premise or the under the sun thinking, he's even saying it's honorable and wise, even to honor God at this point um, with your vows by keeping your word to Him. Right? You know, if you're going to make a vow to God, and He's going to talk about it, and we can talk about just how important that is. Because uh, he's saying it's better not to vow than to vow and not to pay. Okay? So there's some pretty pretty strong warnings even for us today. And even today, as Christians, if you tell a man that you're going to do something, or you say, hey, I'm going to be here, or I'm going to do that for you, or do you trust me to do this, or whatever, and you say yes, or you do it, you know, it's almost like a handshake if you're a respectful person and um, integrity, uh, you're going to do it, right? You're going to do it. And if you don't do it, what happens? You know, that's, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's lost there, right? And you bet you had been better off not to even go there and to say, make that vow with that person to begin with, right? Because things are not going to go, uh, go too good there. Is that if God doesn't command the promise, that's another thing too. So if God didn't command or say, why would you even go there? Why even tread there to begin with? You know, uh, why would you even make a vow to God, especially if you know you can't keep that vow, right? Or you have no means to pay it back, if you will. Or if you have no means or you know you can't keep your promise or you can't keep that vow, he's just saying, why in the world would you even go there? Why would you even make such a vow? But talking about vows, so what about us today? So what, what could be some ways or what are some things that we could vow today to God? Or we do it. You just hadn't, either you're not speaking or you hadn't thought of it, but we make vows to God today. Kind of like, God, if you'll let me get this raised Friday, I promise I'll be at church Sunday morning. Something like that. You're making a vow to God. Now, you may be whatever, and we'll talk a little bit about that too, but when you do that, you're, that's a vow to God. You know, you're going to God and saying, hey, you know, you do this and I'll do that type thing. Now, whether you meant it or not, 
that's a whole different story right there. You know, that's on you at that point. But what, what are some other ways that we make vows to God or have over the, huh? That's right. Well, yep. When you think something might go south for a minute, you, you, your head might say, Lord, if you just let me pull through this, I'll be a better person and I'll do what's right and I won't do this again. You're making a vow to God. Okay, same thing. Yep, I got that on my. Yep, when you get baptized and become a Christian, you're making a vow with God. You're telling Him that, hey, I believe in you know, I believe, I put all my faith in you. I'm gonna become a Christian, and I'm gonna do the things that a Christian's supposed to do. What's in the Bible? That's a strong vow that you're making to God. So, and that's all. You know, y'all pretty much hit everyone that I had here on my list. I mean, there's some others, but uh, becoming baptized or becoming a member of the congregation, okay, you're saying, hey, I want to be associated and be a member of this congregation. I want to be a part of the good work. I want to do this and I want to do that, and I want to do what needs to be done to grow and uh, to help out the congregation. So you're making a vow to God um, with all them different scenarios there. So he says, don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say that was an error. To me, that's almost like saying, you know, the old saying, don't write a check, you know, that you can't cash, so to speak. Don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say that was an error. You know, every effort that we can put into making our vow right, whatever it takes, that should be what we do. We should never say, eh, you know, sorry about that. Didn't really mean it. You know, just kidding. Or just call it an error. Oh, I, you know, that was a mistake or an error. It, he's saying it, it, that's not how it works, okay? And just showing how serious a vow actually is, and you can't just disregard it and say it was just an error, okay? That, that don't even work in today's times with people, let alone with God, you know, when you make a vow with God, that's not how you're going to justify it either. So, And then he says, but fear God, but fear God. Uh, I think here Solomon puts it pretty plain and simple. Um, can somebody turn to Psalms 34 real quick and read a few verses for me? Psalms 34, 11 through 14. Yep, keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So when he says here, but fear God, fear God, that's not shaking in your boots, trembling, is it? Is that like you see a snake, Grady, and you jump back and you run because you're scared, you fear that snake? That's not the same fear he's talking about here, is it? To fear God, correct me if I'm wrong, to me, is like to hold him up or, you know, to stand in awe of him, I guess you could say, um, to acknowledge, you know, who he is and, and what he's worth and what he is to us. If you are to fear anybody and be in awe of anybody, it's God, you know. And that's what I like, you know, we read a minute ago, hey, you're of this earth, you know, to me making that separation here of this earth, uh, he's in heaven. Uh, who do you think you are, you know? 
there's a big difference there. So we, we always need to, to fear God, but when I say fear God, we need to always acknowledge who he is and acknowledge his worth. And we should always respond to him with obedience, right, and, and gratitude. Um, I, I love these first few verses here, how Solomon kind of laid them out for it, how he shifted gears here and, and kind of put some caution out there and mentioned God three or four different times there. Any uh, comments or anything to add? No, that's right. It, that's a good point. You know, if you fear something, you, yeah, you don't, you, you, you understand what you're dealing with and who you're dealing with. Kind of like the snake going back to that, but different. You know, if you go over there and kick that snake or reach down and grab it, it's going to bite you. You know that. You respect that snake, and you let it keep on going. And how much more should we have respect and fear of our good Lord, you know, more than anything? I mean anything. So good comment. Anything else? Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy your work of your hands? And see, I've got italicized too where it says, of God, nor say before the messenger that it was an error. Unless you're just admitting or you're in prayer or, you know, that would be the only thing I could. Nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Jim, is that kind of what you would think in that? Yeah. What you've said, you've caused your body not to be able to do what you said you were going to do. Therefore, you can't keep your vow. So, temple messenger. What version is that? NIV? NIV? New living? Okay. Huh. Yeah. Now, I think the meaning still holds true either way you, you want to look at it. For, from the meaning of what the verse is trying to say, I think it still holds true with all the different translations that we just read. All right, verse 8. I'm going to read 8 and 9 together. How about that? It says, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter, for high officials watches over high officials. And higher officials are over them. Moreover, the prophet of the land is for all. Even the king is served uh, from the two field. Even the king is served from the field. Um, you almost look at this to me, and it almost don't even seem to fit, in my opinion. But um, but it's there. And he says, if you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice, uh, saying, do not marvel at it. Uh, do not marvel at the matter. And the preacher here, again, you know, remember you're thinking and we're talking about things that are uh, realistically, you know, about the things under the sun, right? The much oppression and uh, there's the perversion of justice, okay? Uh, should be no surprise to anybody. I mean, is that the same hold true for today? I mean, they were dealing with the things that we're dealing with today. You know, you're talking about the perversion of justice, um, and then it keeps on and explains a little. For high officials watch over high officials, and higher officials are over them. Um, so it's just Solomon here showing the, 
the different, you know, the bureaucracies that can bring the different stress and the trouble and the oppression and on the different, you know, on the people. And then it's like saying even the higher it gets, even today, seems like the higher some things get up in the ranks within the government, the more and more perverted it gets. The worse it gets, it can. Just because it goes higher up in ranks, I don't mean it's getting better. Sometimes it means it's getting worse. Um, and then he says, moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. What do you think that means? What do you think that means? Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. Janet? Okay, we're all equal. Okay. Yep, and that's everything kind of ties together that y'all said and what I have. I mean, everything everything uh, depends, I guess you could say, on what comes from the farmer's field, from the farmer himself to the king. So, you know, the king, I'm sure there's workers that make wages, that pay taxes and supplies the needs of the city. And uh, for his own house, the king's, hey, he needs food for him and his wife and all their people um and then it kind of shows you know the king is over all this but then he still depends on that farmer um what he does and what he has to supply um you know the nation even even all the way to the king so pretty much everything that was said kind of uh sums it up in a nutshell there anything else all right let's read um verses 10 10 through 12, let's do that. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. So here Solomon is saying that he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Uh, again, Solomon is saying here, hey, what he's been saying the whole time, he knew that the gathering of all these riches, that's not satisfying. It's just all vanity. It's still just all vanity, all the silver. Um, and I got a little note here from some, some guy that said, if anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it is the emptiness that it leaves. That's pretty true if you think about that. If anything is worse than the addiction of money brings, it is the emptiness that leaves. It says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them, so what profit have the owners? So here Solomon is saying, you know, he knew that one's, if your net worth, net worth increases, so did all the expenses. You know, you got more mouths to feed. You got more things to tend, more cattle, whatever, so all your expenses are, are going to go up too, you know, the more people that are around. Plus, you're going to have all the kinfolk coming out of the woodwork just wanting their piece of the money. You know, you got to deal with them and put up with them. So, uh, yeah, the more, the more money you have, the more, uh, the more worries you're going to have as well. It says the sleeper, the laboring man is sweet. The abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. So here you got Solomon has mentioned the laboring man who has much less to worry about. And then he says the rich man has greater worries and less sleep. What do you think that means? How, why, would, 
Why would a laborer sleep maybe a little bit better than the rich man? He's wore out. He's worked hard all day. That, that's right. He, he, he's, he's staying up at night with his head spinning and worried about his money. He don't care. Like Grady said, that ain't my money. Show me my paycheck. I'm going to sleep, you know. And the rich man is sitting there worried to death. Like you said, who's going to steal my money and how can I make more money? It's harder for him to wind down at night and go to sleep. So you can see Solomon, I'm sure he didn't have a whole lot of pity or sympathy for the laboring man. When You know, they're much easier for them to sleep. And that's true for us today, right? I mean, don't we get into that situation? I know I have over the years, and I'm sure you have. If things get a little more intense or a little more responsibility or a lot more things are going on in your life, it's harder to wind down at night sometimes. You know, you've got to have that cool down and that wind down period before you can even think about going to sleep. So it's the same principle. You know, you've got all these worries that are going on and how you're going to do this and do that and stay ahead, and that's the same thing here. Someone once asked John D. Rockefeller how much money he wanted, how much money he wanted. You know what he said? A little bit more. I want just a little bit more. Now, that's John D. Rockefeller, and I, I know y'all have heard that name, and I did a little, you know, looked up him a little bit, obviously, today, just to kind of get some more details, but that was a rich cat. He was like, he made it in oil, obviously. They said in today's times, it would be like $336 billion. That's what that man would have been worth. Can you imagine making that? And that was, that was back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah, earlier in life, you can find and be content. We were just talking before our class tonight how it's so easy to fall in that trap for most of us, if not all of us. You can live on a certain amount of money, but then when you get a little extra piece of money, it's hard almost not to go out and spend that on something, then guess what? Now you've got to keep it. Guess what? That job, that little job, now you've got to keep it because you've got to pay for that that you just got yourself into. So. And that, but you didn't know it, and it didn't matter. And that's, I've told you all that, too, in, in the past, me and Cheryl. <laughs> when we first got married, we, looking back, we were poor. I mean, you know. That's right, made you a better person, made you stronger, and probably made your marriage stronger. That's what it did to us, you know. So, no, good point, good point. Tony, there you go. Make the best of what you got. All righty, thank you all very much.